Hey guys, welcome back to the Fantastic Mr. Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Jay Kramer, here with Justin Strange and Zach Briggs. Say hi, guys. What up? Going. That was probably super, super loud. Jake's drinking. (laughs) Oh, was he? We had to drink in this. I'm sorry. Jake was Um, taking a swig. He can't can't hang out with us without drinking. I wasn't prepared for you guys to be so quick. The listeners are probably wondering what just happened there. You said, say hey, and that's what we did. I thought you guys were going to pontificate a little bit. Nah, you said, you're the host, man. We just listen to you. Okay, fine. All right. So today, I was thinking we were talking about, I think we could talk about directors and their styles. We all have our own favorite directors. We all have our styles. Mm-hmm. And basically, I just want to know, like, what kind of styles of film? And by style, I mean kind of the art direction. Pulp fiction, mm-hmm. like pulpy fiction, horror, symmetrical, long shots, quick cuts. What are some of the techniques that your favorite director uses in his films? And her or her films. Or her films. Absolutely. Come on. Jake, I apologize. In 2022. In their films. Directors. Nice. Their films. I could start and it off briefly. Why? Go, please. You like it. Please, Zach. So I've only seen the movie once, surprisingly. Back in 2015, The Revenant came out, uh, an epic movie. Uh, of a movie. Oh, yeah. And Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu is the director. I, I enjoyed the first opening sequence. It was a, essentially these settlers of some sort were ambushed all of a sudden by natives. And first indication of that is an arrow going through the head of one of these people. I think he's like near a tree or something, just relaxing. And then it proceeds into this wonderful action sequence but done in a methodical way and it's it's shot in one take well it's trying to come across as such love that uh, and I, th- I think it isn't it result in leonardo dicaprio's character falling off the cliff i think that's kind of where the know, movie it's, starts it's been a while since i've seen it. i saw that movie in theater since the only time i saw it. i the only thing i really remember i do remember thinking this is probably some of the best acting that's ever come out of Leonardo DiCaprio. Don't get me wrong. He's a wonderful actor, but I, I really enjoyed him in, in this movie. And then the and bears, verbally. The bear, yeah, yeah. The bear he, scene was wonderful. I the thought the bear was scene great. great. Yeah. It was a guy in a suit, you know, and he had to somehow re- pretend that he was wrestling with a, a big bear. Like, yeah. A lot I of thought... grunting, a lot of grunting in that movie, but it just cinematically, the, the, the long take in the beginning, one shot, take and uh, the the use of natural light i believe i was reading that the director decided to use a lot of natural light so there wasn't yes. any added i guess artificial light or whatever the technical term totally down was. for some natural light totally down so it was it was awesome it was hard to see scenes especially the the the, the night time scenes it's hard to make out what was going on but uh, it, i just enjoyed it was one of the first movies I, i'd seen that utilized not just the long, when they think of the one sh- sh- uh, take illusion, but also natural light. Birdbrand also kind of oh, was, was appealing Zach, as Zach well. Gummett. I was going to talk about that movie. I guess it's a good segue, unless you wanted to yeah, you know, add anything more to Revenant. Well, I, I, like I said, I only saw The Revenant once, but I do remember thinking that this it was a beautiful movie, beautifully acted. Um, yeah, I, that's a great and I think this is the first movie he won an Oscar, right? It was. Yeah. That's yep. the first time he ever won an Oscar. He finally, finally got what won he deserved. An Oscar, yeah. But again, awards don't mean everything, that's for sure. You know, um, quick side note. Leonardo DiCaprio, the first time I saw him, you know what I saw him on? I, I, I don't know. I'm going to guess uh, the, the Basketball Diaries. No, he was in a little show 
called Growing Pains. Huh. TV show, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With uh, Kirk Cameron and Alan Thicke. And he, he played this like, um, if I remember correctly, he was like a, a boy kind of without a family. So the Seavers adopt kind of a, not necessarily officially adopted him, but, you know, adopted him. And so he was in that show. I also remember he was in um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, if you ever saw that movie. I think that's I think that's the first time I saw him. And then I saw him again on Growing Pains. Um, So, yeah, I really enjoy Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, So, yeah, I wasn't going to talk about this director, but it's the same director, right? With Birdman. As Revenant. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. He um, I guess that's why I like both movies. (laughs) Yeah, because I don't know if Jake, if you've ever seen Birdman with Michael Keaton. But man, that movie is I I really wanted to show it in class, but it's rated R. Yeah, um, it's high. Yeah, it's it's rated R. And I, I even um, well, I didn't want to show it in class. I want to show a clip because we were talking about long takes. I remember we we're going to be talking about long takes. And that first thing I thought of was Birdman. But in that one long take in the first like three seconds, it was like four or five cuss words. It was the and I, you weren't even where he's nude. It, yeah, well, it was the one where I think it was Edward Norton and Michael Keaton on stage together and they were talking to each other and it was just cussing. So. But Birdman, if listeners, if you haven't seen Birdman with with uh, Michael Keaton, man, and and Emma Stone, I forgot he was she was in this movie. Yep. Oh, yep. And Zach Galifianakis, he actually does a great job in that movie. You know, he's he's known for his comedy, but man, he's he's not bad. Um, so that isn't the movie I wanted to talk about. But um, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm sure I've told you. But my favorite director in his directing style is, and I hate to say it because I'm like, it's kind of like. Yeah, I'm it's kind of for it. It's it's kind of like uh, you know you go to film school and, and mm-hmm. this is this is the director uh-huh. you're supposed uh-huh. you're uh-huh. supposed to like uh-huh. because you're in film school. Uh-huh. And let me yeah. tell you, yeah, yeah, let me shut it. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me tell you something about film school. So students. much preamble. Yeah, no. Let me t- <laughs> tell me something quickly about film school students. Is they're all stuck up, and they're all like they're all stuck up, and they're all they think they're holier than thou for whatever reason. I'm not really sure, and they think they can't watch action movies like transformers and stuff but i do yeah and the only only directors are supposed to watch are like these auteurs which isn't a bad thing but i do really enjoy wes anderson and jake you you helped me on my short film and you know that wes anderson really inspired me at least with some shots like there were definitely some i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily call them like um not even not even like they're definitely inspired like paying homage to mm-hmm. him yeah so i i like a lot of wide shots like i would have shot that whole whole movie at 14 millimeter lens yeah I, I remember us talking and you're like man well, can we use the 24 for this can we use the 24 for this and i was like listen i mean we could but I, I really don't think we should whenever i showed it to my teachers um because you know they have to view it and uh they were like well this is what you should do like that it's the one scene where they're standing in front of the house and since i wrote that movie that's the shot i had in mind i was like i don't want anything else i don't want any cutaways i want them to be there Mm -hmm. with with a wide shot and they didn't care for that but i was like no i'm keeping this i will defend it to the death if i have to um so yeah and then not only that but like so we shot in this motel room zach and it was orange the yeah i saw yeah so the movie of course when it came whenever it was done it was orange and so i had to and i 
I really, I really liked it. So I, I tinted a lot of the other suits. Yeah, I did too. We didn't really use that much light in it. Right. We just basically used the light that was in the motel room. We used a little bit, but not very much. Um, We we pretty much just popped two LEDs on and bounced it off the roof. I mean, seriously, that's real. I mean, that's really all we did. We had plenty of light because not only were the lights on, but the whole room was freaking orange, you know? So it's like pretty natural. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and so to match that, I had to tint the the rest of it a little bit of a yellowish orange, which is fine because that's kind of what vibe I was going for. Because like when I have Wes Anderson's real symmetrical. Um, so, you know, you're standing either you're you're standing in one of those third positions, you know, like you you're either in the center, you're in the left or the right. You're not ever. It's always very um, most of the time on on uh, what do they call them uh, on the tripod? But there's another term for it. Uh, what is the other term for a tripod? Sticks. sticks. Thank you. Yes. Sticks. It's always almost always on sticks. There's no I mean, there's some like zooms and pans, but I that's what I like about him. He's just, everything's very symmetrical. It's like if I it's kind of like what we're doing now with with this zoom stuff. You know, it's if I were to take like three of his his shots and stack them on top of each other, they'd be super symmetrical. So for our audience who don't have. So Wes Anderson, um, he just he does some interesting things, too. Like you have you guys seen French Dispatch? No, I've okay. seen clips, though. Well, there's a scene in there where um, the, one of the main characters who who's in prison um it shows him as a child <laughs> and instead of like cutting to him as an adult the adult version of this person just walks in this child gets up and walks away and he just sits down like to me that's interesting you know because it's like it's like i don't know how to explain it but it was very it's a very different approach to showing you know a flashback as opposed to showing a flashback we just see the younger version get up and walk away and that's the only time we see him in the whole movie is the the younger version is that that interaction with him and, and his older self they just get up and sit down and so the thing with the thing with tiger white uh, not tiger that's my director um <laughs> the thing with Tiger. wes anderson is wes anderson i think plays very much into the fact that he knows we're watching a film like i don't want to say it's self-indulgent but he makes it very clear that like he's not interested in creating an immersive world. experience when you watch his films mm-hmm. you know you're watching films they're almost like yeah. moving art pieces as opposed to something like, that draws you in and, and you forget you're watching a film. It's like, you're very aware you're watching like an art piece and he is the yeah. creator. And this is his canvas. And it's very you like, know, Jake, I would agree with that. Like it's, it's like watching a book, you know? Yeah. Cause, cause almost always there's a narrator that narrates everything that's going on. And then, and then just his style, it's, there's not really any, any, I mean, there are some movies with shaky cam, but not very much. Um, it's all mostly done on a tripod and, if there is any movement, it's a pan or it's a tilt or it's a, a zoom. Yeah, so. it's like it's almost like a pop up book come to life. Yeah, I would agree with that. That would be that's a good way of putting it or a comic book, maybe. Yeah. But pop up book, even, I think not is, even so much a comic. Book. I was gonna say I a, po- like a pop up book. It's like a pop up book. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and then um, my second favorite, real quick, is. Um, is Kevin Smith? He's my uh, second favorite director. Which I don't know if you guys. He did Clerks. Um, and I guess it's not so much his like he he does he is a pretty good director he's a way better writer but yeah he's he's known more for his directing so I would say Kevin Smith is a second favorite probably my favorite movie from him is I don't know if you guys have seen Dogma but if you have then you should watch it too it's very very clever I haven't seen Dogma but I did see the news report. Mm-hmm. Um, where he joined in with mm-hmm. the protesters against his own movie. Yeah, because and, like, and he interviewed and he interviewed with the local news station. It's basically taking all Christianity and just saying, "Hey, f you." 
<laughs> so there were a lot of protests on that. But I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And so and not just that, but there's also another movie he does. It's called Tusk. I don't know if you guys have heard or seen of that, but it's got Justin Long. And essentially he becomes a walrus. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Jake, let's hear it, man. Well, I think as I uh, inadvertently previewed beforehand, mine, my favorite director is probably uh, Taika Waititi. Actually, I have a couple favorites. Alec Garland is really good, but Taika Waititi, I think, has the most distinct style, like identifiable style of the directors I like. Um, and it's just like, it's not so much a film style as so much as in as in like his artistic take on things as it is like the feeling that he promotes when you like watch his films they're very punchy very funny like very almost innocent like he has like innocent characters and deals with like awkward situations and he's like very almost almost character driven and like characters move the story along and like you're experiencing it from their often very unique point of view like like uh what we do in the shadows is a great film. Yeah, which, um, the TV show is a lot, that, a lot better. But the TV show is great too. I, I did watch the film and I thought it was funny, uh, but I've really enjoyed the TV show a lot more. <laughs> oh, um, just because yeah, no, the characters. But I, I uh, the reason they didn't make a sequel and they made a TV show instead is Taika didn't want to shave. He hates shaving. Oh, because he, he had to shave for the movie, and he had to shave oh. for his part. But he doesn't even, he's not, oh, if they made a sequel to the to If the they made a sequel. But okay. he's got some really good movies. Um, what We Do in the Shadows, Jojo Rabbit. He did Go- Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. You know, of, of MCE stardom. Um, Hunt for the Wilder People is a great film that he's done. He's just very, I don't know how to describe it. He's, he's great timing and a sense of humor. And he also is very good at seeing life from unique perspectives. Like, who makes a movie about a kid's perspective of Nazi Germany? Yeah, with Hitler. Man, Jojo Ooh. Rabbit was such a good movie. Have you seen oh. that, Zach? No, but you should, you seems should kind watch of it. Funny, uh, for sure. It's very funny, it's, but it's also a good, just a good movie. Full of it's. I, I would say a lot of his movies rich, maybe very is, rich. Is rich, full of heart. Yeah, very like passionate. Like the the people that they portray, I feel like are very like passionate genuine there's a genuineness yeah i would agree with that even like um in jojo rabbit with scarlett johansson i thought she did a great job in that movie you know with the accent and everything and she just like the dialogue is it seems very genuine like i would agree Mm -hmm. with that i would totally agree with that that movie that movie was awesome and i even showed it to my friends and they really enjoyed it and i think it's rated pg-13 so i could technically it is yeah you can show it to your your students i might maybe next year right now they're watching and i'll talk about this um in a minute when you're all are done about another director i really i actually really like go ahead if you're still talking jake oh i was gonna say you know so he's just a character i really enjoy and i would say his style is like genuine just like a genuineness and a genuine like love of the characters in the film. I think whatever they're experiencing, I feel like each one of them have a passion. Yeah. And I think with, with him and it's kind of the same as I feel with Kevin Smith, like they're both known more, I think for their directing, but I think they're both better writers than they are directors. You know, Kevin Smith, he's just like his dialogue conversations, his conversations that he writes are awesome. Like I love just listening, you know, listening to the dialogue and the conversations that go on in his movies with 
uh, what's his face? Watiti. It's just the whole story, you know, mm-hmm. like the whole story is, is, is even with what we do in the shadows, the TV show, which he's only in maybe a couple times, you know, it's just funny. Like every episode is, is pretty, is like really funny. And mm-hmm. the char- like he creates great characters and stuff. He's, he's a, I mean, he's just to me, just a great storyteller in general. So um, right now my students, they're finishing up a little movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it called the secret life of Walter Mitty. Have you all seen that movie? Oh, I love several years ago. Yeah. Life of Walter Mitty and Ben Stiller directs that. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know how many movies Ben Stiller has actually. That movie directed. is slept on. Yeah, I think it's very underrated. And the music, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. The it's music okay. No, keep going. Like, oh, it's it's pretty perfect. The movie, um, I wouldn't say it's the best movie ever made, but man, it's it's pretty up there. Because I was watching it here because I always try to view my movies before I show them, even if I've seen them before. So I try to view them if they're new on my TV. Like Wes Anderson, he's got this very specific color palette with most of his movies, and it's usually you know, fall color. So orange, brown, yellow. Like if you think like the fantastic Mr. Fox or moonrise kingdom, a lot of his movies or, or even like, um, not the world Tenenbaums, um, grand Budapest hotel. It's like pinks and yellows and stuff. So he always has like these, these colors, you know, like he's good with colors, but with Ben Stiller, like he just did, he didn't do anything special except for he made his colors a lot more vivid and, and a little bit brighter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so because of that, I think it made the movie a lot more beautiful because it's not just the people we're seeing in that movie. It's the landscape. So, you know, they go to Greenland and then he goes to Iceland and then he goes to Afghanistan. And it's not just like to me, it's not just land. It's like a, mm-hmm. a whole like I mean, I've never been to any of those places. So to me, it was just to experience them in that way through that movie to me was kind of special because it was like a whole new world almost. And I think it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but okay, I, actually, okay, I will. I think the color grade actually gets more like saturated and like punchy as the film goes because he starts, you know, as he's like kind of dejected and down and then he's like discovering life. And if I remember correctly, which I could totally be wrong, I am, forgive me, Ben Stiller. Because he's totally listening. I actually think, yeah, he's totally listening to this. Um, but <laughs> I actually think it gets like more punchy, more saturated as he like goes mm-hmm. and becomes more involved. More adventurous. More adventurous and as, as his aspect and as his view on life changes. I mean, I would agree with that. I don't really know if I've noticed it, but it's, it's very possible because, you know, because uh, one thing about screenwriting is you know, with the exposition is you, you show their, their mundane, you know, boring to them life. So if you remember where Walter Mitty works, he works at life magazine, which to me sounds awesome, but to him it's normal because it's 16 years, you know, he's been at that place for 16 years. And so it's very possible that the color palette had cha- or not the palette, but the color saturation, like you said, and the vividness changed as he, you know, started exploring these other places because he just was like a boring, boring kind of office worker. Uh, off, I mean, yeah, he he he, he essentially worked, he worked took down in the he what he he worked in the film room, right? Well, he what he would do was take photo negatives and turn them into pictures, essentially. Yeah, which is cool to me. Like that sounds really fun to me, but for him, it was kind of boring. So, 
you know, and he hadn't really been anywhere because he's really been trying to support his family since his dad died and stuff like that. So I'll have to give the movie another watch and see if see if I see that, Jake, so I can see if I agree with you on that. It's like to me, it just seemed like all the colors were kind of set, not really saturated, but just like bright and vivid and and alive. So absolutely. The music lo- on that, the music on that movie is great. If you haven't listened to it, man, it's- go get up on YouTube, get on Spotify, just open the soundtrack. Yeah, you, you could probably was it symphonic sing. or no, it's so good. Not I really. Remember. All it was mainly like indie music. So, you know, you got like mm. a, of, of monsters and men and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, just look up the Secret Life of Walter Mitty soundtrack. I bet you'll find it either on YouTube or Spotify and listen to it because it was and it was perfectly timed. The music was like uh, one of the big songs was Major Tom, which I can't sing it on here, but it's like the ground control to Major Tom and and it like played at the perfect moment. And so he was real good about like knowing what songs to put in what places. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about directors, which we are, you know, Ben Stiller is one to kind of look at. And I, like I said, I don't know what else he's directed. I think he directed Tropic Thunder, didn't he? You guys remember? What? I'm Tropic, not sure about Trop- that. Tropic Did he Thunder. Direct? I don't know if he directed Tropic I know he was definitely I'm in it. I'm almost so. positive he directed Tropic Thunder. I'm about to look it up. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, I'm doing it now. I bet you I'll beat you. Find the answer first. Ben Stiller. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say. I, I enjoyed that movie. Yeah, and that movie was was hilarious. I don't know movie, if you're, how I don't, bright I don't it feel like it could be made today, even though it wasn't um, really that long ago. But still, it, it like a lot be. has changed. <laughs> I uh, want to get your thoughts on the color palette of Justice League, the Snyder, the original Snyder version, oh. and then then the Whedonized version. Was firstly remember the red, the massive red tint that was in the the theatrical release, and then they mm-hmm. got rid of the most of the red tint mm-hmm. and going to opt in for a more of a blue in the, Man, that was almost the Snyder cut. To watch. Which one? I couldn't see what was Which going one? on in the, the Wheatons. Fr- yeah. Oh, the we didn't cut all the redness. Wait, I, you like, know. I don't mean unwatchable. Like, Oh, it's, it's terrible and awful. I mean, like it was literally difficult <laughs> for me to focus on what my eyes were seeing. It, it also, it also made it more apparent that it was like a fake. I mean, I know a lot of it was green screen anyway, but I just thought that added to the, the fakeness to it, but then again, I also gave a, a nice comic booky uh, feel, uh, if you could put it that way. Something mm-hmm. about the the choice of the the red tint. But I don't know what the decision making was, and and using that red tint, I'm not entirely sure. Like they show the the destruction. I don't. Know. I think you know, if I had to guess, it was probably just to show like the danger that you know that was building. That like, oh, if they lose, the whole world's gonna be this red hellscape yeah kind of deal like oh this is oh red equals bad Ooh, you know i feel like it was kind of a cheap but that's what happens when you know you kind of go through production hell and you switch directors and writers and and all that sort of stuff which by the way we should talk about movies that do that let's let's let, jot, jot that down yeah i'm doing it right now sorry i had to step away for just a second we're talking about the joss whedon versus snyder justice yes yeah. yeah, the, the, the color palette the, the styles yeah yeah well, i thought Go ahead. Go ahead, Zig. Well, ahead. I was going to say, I, one of the biggest differences, I don't even talk about the color palette, but just styly, styly, aesthetically, <laughs> one of the big differences between Wheaton and styly. Snyder is, yeah, styly. <laughs> styly. That's a new one. So we're all educated. All the in my brain. Um, okay. Is what? Aesthetically is Snyder's, I'm not going to say obsession, obsession, his love for slow-mo yeah like i got, I got a little this, the snyder cut was what three times as long yeah than wheaton's yeah and 
the majority of that was because it was slow-mo. If it wasn't in slow-mo, and I'm not knocking the slow-mo, like it was, it was very nice. It's very well put together. Don't, don't, you know, rate us bad on Google. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, if he didn't use all that slow-mo, I don't know if it would be that much longer. Like it would probably be like half an hour longer, maybe, you know. Uh, slow-mo doesn't take that long. I mean, I don't know how much slow-mo he... He has he t- an entire... He has a gratuitous love for slow-mo. He had an entire scene where Flash runs through hot I'm, dogs. Oh, yeah. Tell me that scene was needed. But he's the Flash. I just attribute it to he's he the Flash. He is the Flash, but do we have to... like? That was yeah. like 10 minutes of him running through mm-hmm. hot dogs. <laughs> to save a girl that I don't think even pops up the rest of the film. That's it's just like this random girl. He sees her, has a crush on her. Oh no, hot dog truck. Save her from the glizzies. <laughs> I think it was just to show off his abilities. Yeah, probably. Because that was like at the beginning of the movie, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so all that is to say is Snyder has a definite love of strong color palettes, like dark almost monolithic color palettes where it's like majorly one color and then a secondary color to break up the monotony and slow-mo. And you could tell that that Snyder had a, like a more menacing vision of what Steppenwolf looked like, but they really changed his design for the Snyder cut. I liked his design a lot better. It was like, he was more intimidating to me. I mean, the movie in general, I thought, Less uh, jokes. We, we were talking about. <laughs> we, I was talking about it with my students, and one of one of my students said that he he couldn't sit through. He's like, I still haven't finished it. And I'm like, man, I watched it in one night, in one sitting. Like, I I thought it was awesome. I, I mean, I really enjoyed the Snyder cut of the Justice. I mean, I enjoyed Whedon's version, uh, not as much, you know, not nearly as much, because you know at the time Whedon's version was all we had. Well, half Whedon's version was all we had, and so he kind of took it and ran with it. And the red tint I thought was kind of weird. Um, and then the whole playfulness with the flash and that Russian family where he's like, you know, bye, and then runs off. Did they get rid of that in the Snyder cut? Yeah, they they did. Yeah, it wasn't there. Yep. It wasn't in there. I mean, yeah, I thought, um, I did think the Snyder cut was way better. I'm not going to lie. Um, and then of course at the end with Jared Leto's Joker, I was like, thank God. Like I thought he did. I mean, I know we're not talking about Jokers right now. But Jared Leto could only work with what he had with with That's the, true. with Suicide Squad, and his his Joker wasn't necessary. I mean, it wasn't the be- it was probably the lowest on the very bottom rung of the ladder of Jokers. But Especially I don't think that's necessarily his fault, though. No, that's what I'm saying. Like he he did the best with what he could, and I mean, he I was mean, a method actor. He like put rats at his co stars. Yeah. Doors or something. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was very, yeah. he was invested. <laughs> but well, that's what that's how many scenes they cut out of it. Heath Ledger movie. was invested too. Release the air cut. People are saying uh, that's no, never going to happen. No, that's <laughs> never going to happen. I think I didn't. You know what? That's a whole other conversation. I was about to start. I'm just <laughs> not going to even start. Um, I, I I enjoyed and especially like I said, especially at the end when we got to see Jerry Little's Joker given something that he can he can work with. You know. Like I did not enjoy his Joker with the other with the suicide with the Suicide Squad, but it was definitely at the bottom of the pack, and he's still technically, I guess, at the bottom of the pack, but it's not as bad. Yeah, so Zack Snyder, he has a very particular style. Like I was going back to talk about his going back to talk about his 
love of the color grade. He's very, very strong color grades. Now think about uh, Man of Steel, 300, Watchmen, Sucker Punch. I forgot he did 300. Um, he did Sucker Punch? He did Sucker Punch. You know, all these films have like a very gritty, dark, punchy color where it's like almost black and white with the highlights and the shadows being tinted and colored as opposed to having the natural colors in there. Yeah. I will say, um, what is it? Army of the Dead mm-hmm. was a... It was a little know, bit that, brighter than it that was. That was a step away from his usual style. That was very oh. colorful yeah. and bright. Maybe he did that on purpose just because of the location and the... I mean, I'm sure he did it on purpose, but I guess we can speculate as to why because of you know Vegas, which I thought... I know we're not talking about this, but I thought that was a good place to move away from like the bigger cities that always have zombies in it or some sort of attack, you know, like New York or California. It's always those kind of bigger cities. And they're like, no, nah, we're going to do it in Vegas. I liked I Army like Canada. Well, I'm not going to say I really liked Army of the Dead was okay. Yeah, me, it was okay. But I really wanted to see a movie about the beginning of it. Like that, you know, that like montage where all the zombies are, are, starting to rampage and you have like the the girls and the suits and the you know zombie tires attacking people like i want to see that movie i want to see the beginning of the zombie apocalypse in las vegas that'd be cool because it seems like anytime we're treated to a zombie movie it's after the zombies have already you know, yeah i want a movie i want a movie at the start of the zombie with, apocalypse. With, with even like the walking dead like you know we we saw it before everything and then rick grimes goes into a coma and we're there after the fact you know you're the yeah. you're the walking I mean, dead briefly yeah, explored I, the fall of humanity but they even rushed through that yeah. i think we just need, i want a series where it just goes into the days firstly the days before the virus and then end the fall of the gradual fall of humanity and then end the series once i guess the zombies are basically dominant and end it there <laughs> But and then, you know, companies will be like, oh, we need to make a spinoff for every uh, possible mm-hmm. storyline, which yeah. you saw how, see how The Walking Dead's working out yeah. <laughs> with that. Well, I, uh, I stopped watching The Walking Dead after the middle of season eight. I'm not going to say why, because it might spoil it, but. The Walking Dead for me is just the, the, the dialogue, like every bit of dialogue, it comes across as some. Um, like message i don't know it just like feels too we're the walking dead <laughs> soap opera soap operatic dialogue it's not natural it doesn't come across as natural mm-hmm. um that, at least that's just from what i've seen well i wish a, oh, world war z world war, I wish z. world war z should have done justice to the book like did you read the book oh i love the book yeah it. it's yeah. it's great it's completely it. different from the film. The only the only thing that the film shares to the book is the name. Oh, well, literally, that's, nice. that's it. Do the zombies run that fast in the book? No, not at all. <laughs> the zombies in the book are literally the stock, you know, mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead, dumb, stupid, shambling zombies. And the whole the whole book is set. Suddenly, we're a book podcast. Is set <laughs> after, like after the war's already won. And it's this researcher going back and he's talking to survivors and creating like a record of the war, almost like, like a document, like doing a documentary on like uh, the Dust Bowl, you know what I'm saying? Like the Dust Bowl documentaries with all these old people 
like, oh, yeah, we had to put our plates upside down. It was like that. And it's all these short stories of people who survived the zombie apocalypse. And it goes very much into, like, the politics of it, how the world fell when they should have been easily handled, the problems with, like, the different countries, you know, political stances and why they weren't able to beat them. And I think that's what I would like to see. And there, there are people yeah. who were like it, like almost like the coronavirus. There are people who are saying like, "Oh, we don't need to be scared of them." There are people going out and like trying to tame them. People protesting for them. Like it's a very interesting, slow, like vignettes of yeah. this war. It has nothing to do with the film at all. Yeah, I don't remember the movie being that deep at all. No, they no. Just, like it was just, just, like, it felt just like a blockbuster CGI yeah. fest. Such a disappointment. And if I have one goal in life, it's to make an, like, an accurate adaptation of that book. Yeah. It's so good. It's one of my favorites. Is the, well, anyway. World War Z felt like uh, a Disney ride or something. Like, it felt like <laughs> a, and, and not an intimidating one either. Like was, Space Mountain's on the so level mad. of like exciting but serious. Yeah, but. I... Uh, I watched that movie in theaters and I don't really remember much about it. That's how unremarkable. I have the book. It's, I know it's massive. I haven't read it though. It's really good. If you get the chance. One movie I would like to talk about, if that's okay with you guys. Uh, did you have something to say, Zach? Yeah, but you could go ahead. Okay, quickly. I'll go quickly. It won't be, take very long. But um, I was, before I decided to show The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, I was going to show a little movie called All the President's Men from 1976. Oh, yes. Have you guys I'm a seen big, it? big, big fan. I have mm. Blu-ray and mm. DVD and I've read the book. So I was watching it and I noticed uh, the, uh, the, the director, Alan Pakula. I don't know him. Uh, I assume he's an older director. If we direct this night, Sam six, he did a lot of like interesting things with that movie. Um, so mainly the, uh, the, the color, not the color, the lighting in that movie. Do you remember Zach? Have you seen that movie several times? Yeah, but I don't think the lighting ever well, stuck like, out to me. I mean, maybe it was, it was nothing special. I mean, maybe it was just wasn't lots of shadows. Yeah, it's lots of shadows. Yeah, lots of darkness. So, like, I yep. remember specifically, um, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward were walking out of the out of a house, and there's just no light, and they're essentially walking in the darkness, but they're still on camera. You know, in a normal normal movie or a different movie, it would be they would be lit up somehow, even if it was some, some sort of simulated moonlight, you know, shining down on them or a simulated porch light shining down on them. But nope, porch light was off. They just walked out in the dark, and I thought that was interesting um, since we're talking about, you know, directors and stuff. And hmm. I wouldn't say that movie's underrated or anything because I, I think everybody pretty much knows about it. But if you haven't seen it, you should watch it at least once. Have you, have you seen it, Jake? I don't remember if you've I seen haven't. it. Okay. No. Yeah, try to watch it if you can. Uh, it's it's from 1976, and it's about uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, the actual reporters, based on the actual reporters who unraveled Watergate, which to me is one of the more interesting political scandals to happen. You know, even more than let's say Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. You know, it's like this whole scandal involving real big higher ups in Washington. And Ronald Reagan is also, or not Ronald Reagan, I'm sorry, Richard Nixon is also a part of the whole thing. It's just very interesting so stuff. That's so political it's thriller. their generation's spotlight. In a way, um, but it's with bigger reper- repercussions sense, on a national sense, level. You know, it's following the reporters who are digging out this story that's 
But like, yeah, yeah, like Zach said, the bigger repercussions on a national level. Like, I don't mm-hmm. really, you know, I really enjoyed Spotlight, but I don't necessarily remember the story that they were following. Oh, you know, it was just the Catholic Church diddling kids. Oh, yes. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talking about, I mean, segue into that movie briefly before you talk more about the, all the president's men. I enjoyed Spotlight overall. I felt like they rushed through a lot of the journalism aspects of the of the movie. I remember the, like the montage of them going door to door and talking to people that you for like do, trying to conduct interviews, just find connections to the, I guess, alleged pedophilia happening in the, the Catholic church. I just felt like there, it, it, compared to all the president's men, I think all the president's men showcase the, the journalism, the, the deep dive, yeah. you know, interviewing, yeah. especially at that one woman's house, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, just it was just a lot more. It felt real. It, I it, agree. It was it wasn't as well even jump cutty and bouncing around as as much yeah. as the spotlight. There was even lots of pacing really issues. Spotlight. In undergrad, when we were learning film, uh, the mo- specifically the montage spe- sequence in Spotlight was what they gave us to use as like the premier example of how you're supposed to do a montage. Or like, you know, well, that's different. That's, that's a little different because you're talking about filmmaking techniques. And, and I think what Zach is talking about, how like the montage kind of rushes through the whole journalism aspect of, of the movie. Right. Zach. It's like, that's, okay. that's what I meant. Yeah. But, but to be fair to Jake and Zach, Zach is a reporter. You're a filmmaker. You know that's what I true. mean? To us, that's great. The, you, we, if, if this is the premier way to do a montage, we're, well, that's how we're going to look at it, you and me, right? Because this is, this is what we do. But Zach, if he watches a movie and it's about reporting, Zach's going to want to see some freaking reporting. You know, I want to see, I want to see the notepad. I want to see yeah. the pencil on paper. I want to hear the questions. I want to see the guy smoking. A yeah, cigarette. but like uh, and all the president's men, like I, I enjoyed both movies and yeah. uh, but I enjoyed them the, both as well. with all the president's men. I really enjoyed just kind of how it was really focused on the conversations and investigation, the investigation. And, the, you know, and I, well, I won't spoil that. I was going to mention like the Batman. Yeah, we won't go into that. Yeah, the detective. It all comes back to Batman. <laughs> yeah, almost always. It seems like I was so going to I was going to say it, Zach, but I but I'll let you go ahead. Jim. So, Justin, what kind of what kind of style do you think that that director utilized for his film? Who? The all the president, all the president's men. From what I could tell, this, this with with all the president's men, it was like a, it was like, it was like hiring a private detective to make a movie, right? Because they're gonna always be hiding in the shadows and they're gonna always be taking notes. You know what I mean? But of course, it's about reporters. So, and the and the big source with this this story was Deep Throat, and you 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 saw his face a little bit, but you didn't see it that well. You could t- kind of kind of make out facial features, and it was he was always in the dark, and he never met anywhere other than like a parking garage underground. It wasn't even above the ground parking garage; it was an underground parking garage. Like he he utilized, I think, for that movie the style, the they cut like the shadows and everything because it was supposed to be kind of an investigative movie. And if you're going investigating, you know, it, you're not necessarily going investigating out in the middle of the day. I mean, yeah, you can, but. 
a lot of it's taking place at night. And, you know, if you want to, if we want to go back to Batman again, you know, 90% of the, any of his movies, any Batman movies takes place at night. I think what all the presidents men did a good job with was this kind of establishing that kind of tone and feeling of what a fear that the reporters were going through, especially Bob Woodward's character. Mm -hmm. like at, after he left, one of the scenes after he left the parking garage after his meeting with Deep oh, yeah. Road, mm-hmm. there was, he felt so paranoid mm-hmm. and everything. I think there was a car or something yeah. that took off. I mean, I think we're supposed to think maybe it was the government. Government following we don't, him. We don't know for sure necessarily. And, and yeah. that's when he becomes, uh, there's this one sequence where he invites Carl Bernstein to his apartment and then he flares... Yeah, music, some Other classical music, the way around. cranks it up, and uh, he's basically typing on his typewriter messages to yeah. Bernstein. I thought that whole right. sequence and the way it was done was actually yeah. You're right. You're right. I was thinking Bernstein invited him, but no, it was Woodward because I do remember because yeah, because in the parking garage he has this conversation with Deep Throat. He turns around because a car took off in the garage, and he turns back around and and Deep Throat's gone. And then when he's walking outside of the garage he's like walking and then he starts kind of picking up the pace and then he starts running and then he just quickly turns around because he he's essentially scared he's paranoid that he's being followed i feel like they did like some classic late 70s uh, technique where they might have zoomed in like very dramatically i don't know if there, there was I mean, some like type a, like a there dolly was, zoom might, no, might have probably been. just like a Probably just like a regular, uh, like I would hearken it to like Wes Anderson, where he just kind of it's still on tripod, but it just goes in, it just pushes in. Yeah, it felt very like for the 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 style of filmmaking. Oh yeah, and that seems like a seventies thing is is zooming in like that. And the soundtrack was very minimal in the movie, and when it was, it was it had like that seventies. It's hard to describe it. It's that newsy kind of, you know, film noir type music. And yeah, uh, and that's kind of the vibe I get from this is, is, you know, film noir, which basically deals with detectives. But in this case, it deals with reporters, but they're also being detectives. So you can argue the fact that maybe this is a film noir, except for, you know, it's not some hardened detective who has, you know, he doesn't trust anybody in the world. And, but then he also has this, you know, dame that he's been seeing. And that is just like, and that's one thing I thought about with this story was like, these are just two guys trying to find the truth. There's no love interests, you know, no family drama. It's just two men trying to find the truth. And I think that's what I really also like, not just the, the style director style, but just the story of just two guys wanting to figure out what's going on. Definitely, it's ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a good movie, Jake. You need to you need to check it out, man. Seriously. You guys are you guys are ramping it up. I'm getting yeah. excited for it. Well, I don't want to ramp tension it. Don't, building. I don't want to hype it up too you... much because I don't want you to go into it thinking it's this wonderful movie. Don't get me wrong; I really enjoy Listen, the movie. If you said if it's, if it's at least as good as Spotlight is, which it seems like you said, uh, I think it's better than Spotlight. Well, I love Spotlight, so there's a lot more room to breathe in all the President's Men. Mm-hmm. There's you get to, you get to digest it like throughout the movie, whereas I feel like Spotlight jumps around. Mm-hmm. It's a faster the, pace uh, movie. It's more of a slow burn. Yeah, all, all the president's just... been. I would say so, and then it kind of ends in a way, not abruptly, but you you, you yeah. kind of wanted to know more. I don't I don't like, care for the ending. I will admit. Um, 
I don't care for the ending, but it 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 wasn't bad. I li- I did like the ending. I just it, it served I its it purpose. I feel like because yeah. their job was done, they got the report. I mean, mm-hmm. not, not like spoiler, spoiler alert, but but they got they did their job, <laughs> and the movie for the most part was focusing on those two Them, reporters just just those guys in there trying to find the truth man it was it's just a they did movie. their part and then nixon done. was done yeah <laughs> so nixon. That's this is this kind of evolved more from you know directors overall styles to you know honing into a particular film style like you know when you when you you guys kept mentioning you know you're saying the director had it filmed in such a way that it was almost like a reporter filming mm-hmm. the movie. Almost like if a reporter did the movie. Yeah. If Zach decided he wanted to make a movie about a reporter, that's I think that's how it would turn out. If you or me decided we wanted to do a movie about a reporter, it would probably be more like Spotlight, you know, because uh-huh. we're going for that that filmmaking and we, you know, we're thinking about the, the, the dramatization and yeah, just and conflict and stuff, which there is conflict, of course, in all the president's men, even between green. Yeah. yeah. Even between Bob Woodward and, and Carl Bernstein, there's conflict. Um, but I just thought, I don't know. It, it is a great, uh, uh, if you're, if you're in a reporting class, you know, that'd be a great movie to watch. I think and spotlight Those, would also be a great yeah. movie to watch. They both would be good movies to watch. And it's a, a wonderful movie. I mean, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman just mm. nailed their roles and they're wonderful actors yeah, in general, totally. especially Hoffman in other roles he's done. What's that one movie where he kind of plays the, the, the brother that's, he's with Tom Cruise, I forgot the movie. Rain Man? Yeah, Rain Man. I, I enjoyed that movie. I've never seen Rain Man. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, this brings up a question in my mind. How much responsibility does a director have? So let's say who has their own style when they need to produce someone else's style or a particular film style that's not necessarily their niche niche that's a good, that's a good question um i would think oh that's a good question how much do they how much responsibility do they have in you know representing that particular film style that's needed as opposed to their own yeah it's hard to say you know because the the first director I think of with that is is Darren Aronofsky, um, who did Reckon for a Dream and Black Swan and Mother. But then he also directs Noah, which is about Noah's Ark, which I think if you if you look at, you know, you think about the story of Noah's Ark and you say, hey, Darren Aronofsky, you direct this movie. I think that's how like that is a Darren Aronofsky movie regardless if it's based on, you know, a story in the Bible. And that, I'm glad you said that, Jake, because I was totally going to bring up Darren Aronofsky because I also really like him, but, but not necessarily for his directing style, but his, his storytelling ability and the way, well, I guess a little bit his directing style because he is kind of, he, he does use like kind of darker stuff. Um, his, his, all his subject matter is pretty dark. You know, if you've ever seen Mother, it's essentially an allegory on the Bible. And then, um, Noah, which was a good movie, but he's kind of got, he has like this different take on, on Noah and, and the Bible and all this stuff. The Noah film is actually based off the Gnostic texts, not the Biblio, uh, you know, Judaism, Christian texts. Oh, okay. Which is why so, it's so different. Gnostic, like agnostic. Yeah, right? there's, okay. there's, that makes uh, sense. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Um, because it does seem like it's not from, 
you know, the, the Bible itself, it's because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when we think Noah, we think, you know, this old man who got two of every animal and all this stuff, but then you got these rock monsters and stuff in the Noah version of Darren Aronofsky's Noah, which yep. is a little different than what the Bible yeah, the tells us. The, I know, I know where you get the ag- agnostics from, but the Gnostic texts are actually um, not agnostic. Well, they are. Um, I'm just going off the spelling. I know they're they're actually um, they refused books of the Bible. Essentially, they are they are mm. books mm-hmm. or versions of the Bible that uh, have been like you know kind of like refused from the mm-hmm. uh, from the official texts. That's interesting because the Sean texts. I've never, never heard of it, um, but yeah, it's super interesting. You should look well, it up if you have the chance. Well, I'm looking at it right now. I mean, it's on Wikipedia, but it says Gnosticism used a number of religious texts that are preserved or in part in whole, in part or whole in ancient manuscripts or lost, but mentioned critically in what is this word? Patristic, patristic writings. There's a lot of interesting ones. Like there's, there's supposedly like the book of Judas, the gospel of Mary, all these alternative oh and stories and yeah and yeah, yeah that uh supposedly at least according to gnostics exist and wrote these books but the the mainstream christianity mm-hmm. threw them uh, out essentially has threw them out that's interesting stuff okay because that makes more sense with this noah movie like the way he presented it I, I, did i ask you guys if you'd seen noah have you seen it no yeah you have okay so what did you think about it um well being being as how my background is like Southern Baptist Christian. And I, and I saw it when I was very much in the church, (laughs) which I still am in the church, but you know, I was like, right now you're in your house. (laughs) No, everyone, you you could be, your church is everywhere. Go see, uh, you're like, Oh goody. Uh, a Bible Um, film from Hollywood. It's a a totally different thing. Yeah. 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 Dude's making deals with a snake and he's wrapping around his arm. I'm like, what is, what is this? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like blue screen. Totally understand. I totally, totally agree. Cause that movie is far. I mean, not far from the, you know, the original, or at least what I grew up on growing up Southern Baptist as well is like, it's totally, I, I need to watch this movie again. I'm pretty sure I have it. So I need to watch this movie again. Going back to my original, like how much sure. responsibility Cause you mentioned, you know, his style. How much responsibility does someone like him have when working with his own niche or with somebody else's right? Someone else's or a particular film's well, style. The great thing about directors is they have all the responsibility. So even if you wrote if you wrote something, Jake, and you're like, hey, I want you to direct this, uh, I might take I might take tips from you, but I'm still gonna make it my own. You know, if you're giving me a script and you're entrusting me to direct this movie then I need to have at least like 98% of control, you know, Mm -hmm. unless you're a studio, you know, if you're a studio, that's a different story, especially if you're funding the movie. If you're like, if I'm just paid to direct, you know, there's a difference between, between directing your own movie and being paid to direct. So like, you know, some directors, they just like, you know, you think of, you know, Pixar, uh, Disney Pixar directors, who are just pumping out movies because they're getting paid to do it. And they're just, you know, essentially it's, it's, and and even MCU directors, mostly some of them are a little different, but most MCU directors are just getting paid to make these movies, except for maybe John Favreau, you know, it's, he's a little different because he kind of, 
brought on the MCU, but you know, they're getting just getting paid to make these movies and they just kind of like, all right, ready action go. And this is not really their own style, you know, I think directorially, you know, the sequel trilogy for star Wars, I feel like each movie in the sequel trilogy had a different vibe because each, each except force awakens and the rise of Skywalker, right. Skywalker because they were both JJ Abrams. Yeah. Abrams, but Obviously, Ryan Johnson's whole subversion of expectations, his style was definitely there, despite my own opinions about the, the movie and the lore itself. But from a movie making standpoint, I enjoyed yeah. uh, what he was trying to, to go for. I would agree. Um, I, I do like the only reason I, I even like um, The Last Jedi is because it's. It's I the movie is not that good, <laughs> but if you think about it, you have this one director. He's kind of like a lone director, and he's he's like they're like, hey, direct this, and I don't know because of that. It's like okay, I, I'll watch. I might watch this movie one more time, or you know, I'll watch this movie when I'm watching all the the Star Wars movies. You know, just because it is a Star Wars movie, uh, but you do kind of get that different vibe from from Ryan Johnson then as opposed to JJ Abrams which you can kind of appreciate but Definitely. yeah it wasn't i mean it wasn't like a top tier movie period like not just star wars but movie period yeah i get it <laughs> you know i get everybody's arguments but it's still yeah. star wars there's a difference between i guess the filmmaking and then the like the lore and how characters are treated you could appreciate oh yeah you know just the way it looks and Feels and the cinematography, etc. But I just don't agree with the, the, the storytelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. And the only thing about that movie that I liked was the the scene where Laura Dern, you know, uh, does the whatever she does with the ship and runs into the other ship and they blow up. And but there's no sound. I thought that was a neat choice. That was visually, an interesting choice. visually, very, very cool. Yeah, can breaking. Yes. But what are you gonna do? Very cool. That that's all I'm going for. Visually very cool, even audibly very cool. Because you know, I will there's... say, uh, Harry Poppins flying or Leia Poppins with uh, Daisy, Rip Daisy Ripley in the cave, the Sith okay. cave, and the infinite mirrors. Mm -hmm. That was in the last Jedi, wasn't it? I don't remember. It was, yeah, it, it was. That I was trying was to a... kind of harkening back to like, Luke Skywalker's discovery Skywalker's and on Dagobah stage. and all that. Yeah, yeah. That one, that was a cool. Uh, that was a cool shot. I enjoyed that part of yeah. it. I wish they'd done more with it. I feel like that could have taken them in a cool direction. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely agree with you, Jake, that it's very bottom of the of the totem pole of Star Wars movies. But there were we're going to have another episode on, I think, Star Wars or the sequel trilogy. Hopefully, oh, yeah, we have these to. Days. <laughs> we need to do, Stu, we just need to do different episodes on each trilogy. You no, know, we then... want, you know, you know what I want? I want the youngling cut. A youngling cut. Of yeah, you know, episode, you know, episode three. three, when when they're like, Master Skywalker, what are we going to do? And What are we like, going to do? That's what he does. That's what he sounds like. I want, I want the extended <laughs> cut. That kid. Oh, poor kid. You want the extended scene of that? Well, just yes. go to download the game Star Wars Jedi Academy, and there's an expansion pack where you could be Anakin and slaughtering oh, younglings. Yes. <laughs> or the younglings could yes. kill Anakin in a yeah. <laughs> anyway i guess we should um wrap it up guys we only got a couple minutes left on the zoom meeting all right if we have to
Yeah. So you want to wrap it up there, Jake? <clears throat> yeah, I'll wrap, wrap it up. Wrap it up there, boss. What's the guys, thesis? Guys, oh. thank you so much for being with us, listening, spending time as we pontificate. Uh, spending time as we pontificate. On- All right, just say bye. <laughs> <laughs> we got to promote the social media. We do. Yeah. Like, yeah. like us. We have a Facebook page. Follow yep, us sure on do. Instagram. We've got a... Uh, Twitter account, Twitter, and we and we also have YouTube. Which YouTube we haven't uploaded yet, but we will. We will eventually. Well, by the time this episode comes out, we'll. So we'll yeah, we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, the Fantastic Mister Podcast. Please let us know if you have anything interesting you want us to talk about, or if you just want to say hello, or if you want to say goodbye. If you say want to say I don't want to listen to you guys anymore, please yeah, tell rate us. and review us. Yes, absolutely. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening from Jake and Justin and Zach. Have a good day. All right. See you guys.